Thank you, folks. Good, good jam there. Hey, good morning. I'm Dan, and I'm so glad you're here this morning. It's kind of a special day. This afternoon at 2 o'clock, just down the street at the Tennessee World's Fair Park, some, the name of it, you know what I'm talking about, it's right down here at the amphitheater, uh, which we haven't figured out what to do with since 1982. But now, today, we're going to use it for a uh, Right to Life rally. Uh, if you can come, uh, we have typically for years and years done that right here at Calvary. And uh, today we're moving it for the first time because some good things are happening in our community and in in hopefully our state and our country, and uh, i just continue to pray for that. You know what? I'm doing the opening, like, introduction and prayer, and one of the things I'm going to say is this. I hope, my heart is that we will be the generation that we remembered for taking a stand against abortion, for praying for healing for those who've endured that. I pray that we would be that generation. When your children... And your grandchildren ask you, Grandma, (laughs) Daddy, what did you do to help? You don't want to say, I didn't do anything. I just watched it happen. I'm not trying to guilt you, maybe a little, but um, if you can come out this afternoon, that'd be the least of what you can do. These are good folks that we support, and um, you'll be glad you did. It's also a good day because... Yesterday was Kevin Atkins' birthday. Happy birthday, old-timer. And I don't know if you could see from where I'm sitting in that second song, he was was having a, a, yeah, happy birthday. Um, I'm glad you're here. And today is a special day for me. It is the anniversary of my first date with Kathy Embry, soon-to-be Riley. So, um been singing Burning Love to her at her request all weekend. Uh, it's one of her favorite, favorite 70s songs. It is. And she asked me over and over and over, but it was on January 25th that I finally said, yes, I'll go out with you, and, and here we are. Okay. Um, this week is uh, the third week in a series called Building the New You, and what we're doing is talking about uh, how to push the reset button on your life. We all need to do that sometimes. And some of you here this morning, you, you know it. You know you need to do. In week one, we talked about how uh, if you want to create lasting change in your life, you've got to have the courage to try one more time. One more time. I don't care how many times you failed and you think, it's just not going to work. This is just who I am. It's not. And uh, you need to try one more time. Last week, we talked about how starting over means that you close the door on your past. Uh, Some of you need to slam that door and leave it behind you and move on. And uh, we make the decisions we need to make, we break the ties we need to break, and we take the steps we need to take uh, to move forward. And today, uh, we're going to talk about getting first things first. Uh, And we're going to look at a story probably familiar for a lot of you, in which Jesus, he visited the home of a couple of of friends of his who lived in this little town called Bethany. Uh, The friends were two sisters and a brother. It was Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus. He's the guy that Jesus raised from the dead. So he's 
kind of a celebrity in his own right, you know. So um, what we read into this gospel narrative, it's in uh, Luke chapter 10, is uh, that Mary and Martha and Lazarus, were, they were close friends with, with Jesus, and he liked to visit their home. It's one of those places he could go and just rest and relax and, and just kind of get away for a little while. Everybody, even Jesus did that, okay? So it was, a, it was a, just a, a nice thing. It was a sweet thing, and, and they, were, they were close. Now, clearly, having a guest in your house is a special event, and you like a little bit of warning. But you're on your, how close are you? We're 15 minutes. You know that feel? If you ever had, you probably don't because your house is immaculate and it doesn't bother us. We say, come, just, just you don't even have to call. But uh, some of you, that may stress you a little bit when you get that call. Uh, especially in the first century, they didn't have cell phones. They couldn't text or anything. So a guest might arrive just unannounced and just knock on the door. You know, hey, I'm here. Couldn't call ahead. Phones haven't been invented yet. So here we are. And a rule of hospitality dictated that you receive that person with honor. And this is still somewhat true even in today's culture in the East, uh, that you let them wash their feet when they enter your home, you give them a place to rest, uh, you prepare a nice, as nice a meal as you can for them, and you even invite maybe some of the people from the neighborhood to come over and make a little party out of it. You know, it's kind of a, it's a nice event. So imagine that your guest doesn't show up alone. It's not just, G oh, it's Jesus, and you got, you got 12 guys with you. <laughs> yeah, there's 13 of us, and we're really hungry. We just thought we could hang out for a couple of days. Is that, is that cool? Yeah, absolutely. And can you imagine Martha? Some of you have been Martha, right? You turn around, and you think, there's 13 people here. How much bread do we have? Uh, we got to run to Weigel's. We got, you know, you've just got all these people. And so imagine it's not just any guest, it's Jesus. I mean, you really want this to be nice, and you're thrilled that they're here, but my goodness, you know, you've got a lot of things to do in a short amount of time. You think, you know, I want everything to be as perfect as possible in every way, because it's Jesus. I mean, it's Jesus is common. And, and so that's what's going through Martha's mind. And I want you to know, there's nothing wrong with that. I and mean, we kind of pick on her sometimes and go, well, that Martha, I mean, she was... I would be doing the same thing, hopefully. You know, she's scrambling to get everything done. She wants to get the food prepared. Uh, she wants to get the guest rooms ready, and you know, and no doubt, it's just this stressful, kind of a hectic situation for her. So she dashes off and you know starts getting things done. And the problem is amplified by the fact that her sister, who should be doing half of everything that needs to be done, was nowhere to be found. You see Martha, you know, she's in the kitchen, and then she, you know, she goes over here, and she's like, where is Mary? Mary, you know, she's kind of muttering that, she's kind of thinking that, and she looks all over the house for her, doesn't know what's happened to her sister. Martha goes out into the little courtyard of their home where they often socialize out in the open air. It's like your patio or your deck, you know. It's that area where you just kind of like to chill with people, and there Jesus is gathered with his disciples, maybe a few others of the community have come over and they just want to hear Jesus teach in this informal setting and they've got him right there and I mean, it's just all to themselves and she looks around there's, uh, you know, there's maybe 20, 25 people in the group and it typically it would be all men so she, you know, she scans the crowd and it's everybody and there's just, and except for one 
right there on the front row with all the guests, her eyes focused on Jesus, hanging on to every word, Sister Mary. She's just sitting there listening like, oh my goodness. And when, when Martha saw this, she just loses it. I mean, she just, it's like, really? I can't, I knew, you know, it's just, it, some of your sisters, you know what I'm talking about, right? You, you, you've been there. Uh, it's just too much. So I, I kind of think she just, she just walks over and she just interrupts Jesus' teaching. And, and he interrupts him, Jesus, excuse me, I'm going to let you finish your sentence in just a moment. But first, you know, she's just come in from the kitchen and she's, uh, you know, I can imagine she said something like this. Well, actually, we don't have to imagine because it's written out in verse 40. Don't you care? I, mean, I, wouldn't, I, don't, I don't think I would ever talk to Jesus like this, but she says, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. You ever done that with your, mom, your parents? You have. You're like, tell, tell, you know, you've gone and pulled that authority. But since she just, came, and she's so stressed, I have a feeling that maybe she said it something like this. Don't you care? My sister left me to do all the work by myself. Tell her to help me. Tell her to help me. Yeah, I mean, you, you not, you've got a sister, right? Or a cousin or a brother. You've heard that tone. I can just imagine that tense moment. And you know, there's all these other people sitting there and Martha just explodes and everybody else is, you know, suddenly they're looking up. Look at that. Is that an olive tree? You know, and, and they're a dove. And, you know, they don't know. It's just awkward. And Jesus takes control of the situation. It's easy to slip into this moment for me uh, because it's, it's like martyrdom syndrome. You know, it's where you start telling yourself you're the only one who does anything around here. You're the only one who cares. It's all on me. You've done that. I've done that. Everybody I know struggles with this sometimes. Every pastor I know has felt this. Every leader I know has felt this. Every parent I know has felt this. Every boss I know has felt this. Every assistant I know has felt this. And many employees feel this. It's the martyrdom syndrome. It's the poor, pitiful me syndrome. And when I start feeling this way, it's rare that I ever would because I have such a servant's heart. But on moments of weakness when I do, it, what it means is that there's something wrong with my entire approach and my list of priorities. Now, Martha was doing things that needed to be done. Obviously, when you've got people in your house and they, they need to eat, they need a place to sit, uh, they, you know, you need to pick up the Jerusalem Times paper that you've left on the floor. And I don't know if they wore socks. I don't think they did. But you got to pick up. You just got to make it a place so they can rest and relax. So it's not that Martha is wasting her time on just frivolous things that really don't need to be done. This is legit. I mean, there's things that need to be done. And she had the right idea. And I'm kind of, I'm, I'm sympathetic towards her. Uh, but listen to what Jesus says to her in verse 41. Martha, Martha, he, the Lord answered. And let me add something here. Let me um, interpolate something. 
for you. Uh, when you consider that every manuscript is written out by hand and it's l you've got the limited space of a scroll and you can be sure that every word in the Gospels was meticulously chosen for maximum effect. Have you ever been in a classroom and you realize you've got two more sheets of paper in your notebook and you're taking notes or in your journal and you're at a conference, you know, and you think, oh man, I got to write really small and I got to get the most, because it was precious. And did you see the article this week where they found uh, papyrus that was used like paper mache inside the, what do you call it, sarcophagus of a mummy? Because it didn't mean anything to them. It's Christian, they don't care, but it was just, it, it, that's why they would use something that's already been written on. They're not going to use clean, fresh paper because it's so expensive. So they're trying to get the most. And what I think they did is that the, the Gospels are meticulous. And that's why they're so extreme, more accurate than any document we've got in the history of the world. It, because it was, you had to get the maximum effect out of it. That's why in ancient documents, you never find scenes that, you know, that says Maximus walked into the room and said, Hey, what's up? And Flavius said, Not much, Maximus. What's up with you? And he said, oh, nothing. What do you want to do today? And Flavius said, I don't know. What do you want to do today? Says, Maximus said, I don't know. Let's go ask Octavius. Hey, Octavius. What? No, you don't. You never see those kind of conversations, okay? Because you think, we don't, we can't. It's too, you never hear that in ancient documents because they had to economize their words. A scroll is only so long. And in the case of book, uh, the book of Luke, we say book, uh, but it took up an entire scroll. So it was, you know, a pretty big deal. So I find it interesting in this conversation that Luke makes it a point. He's going to take the space to let us know that Jesus said Mary's name twice. He said, Martha, Martha. Every time I read this story, I stop for a minute and I think about, why did he do that? Saying her name twice is almost like code for, hey, 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 Martha. You know, last night our grandson just had kind of a meltdown and we couldn't get him calmed down and we're just like, hey, 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 you know, and those things you do to try to go, hey, you know, and get, get, their, get their attention. Sort of what Jesus is doing uh, here. He's, he's trying to, you know, de-escalate this situation emotionally, especially for Martha. So he says her name twice, Martha, Martha. Verse 41, you're worried and you're upset about many things. I get that. You know, he kind of validates her, I think. He said in verse 42, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better. It will not be taken away from her. Not now, not throughout eternity. I'm not going to take this from her. She's made a good decision. Now, when Jesus said, only one thing is needed, he wasn't saying, never clean your house. So, like, if your mom said, you've got to clean your room. Did you not hear Pastor Dan? This is not important. <laughs> you know, try it. I mean, you're welcome, but it's probably not going to work, you know, very long. Um, you know, preparing a meal. I'm not cooking tonight. I'm just going to be with Jesus. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I mean, you could use this, taking care of your guests or not important. No, he's not saying any of that. He's just saying, Martha, 
There's only one thing that really, really matters. And this one thing supersedes, it takes priority over everything else. So he's not being hard on her. I think he's being kind of sweet to her. What is that one thing? It's sitting at the feet of Jesus. Just sitting and spending time in his presence. Mary needed that. Martha needed that. I need that. You need that. This is one of the most important lessons. If, if you can assimilate this spiritual truth into your daily walk, you will revitalize your spiritual life. Just this one thing, more than all the sermons, more than all the Bible studies and events and whatever it is, and, I, and those are all wonderful, the beautiful things, but this one thing I think will revitalize and change your spiritual life more than everything else. Really, really, really believe that. Uh, your relationship with God, your relationship with others, the way you pursue your life with purpose. And here's the lesson to learn. Jesus wants to be loved before he wants to be served. Jesus wants to be loved before he wants to be served. Before you do anything for God publicly, he first wants to fellowship with you privately. Jesus wasn't saying, Martha, don't get the house ready. He wasn't an advocate for messiness or, you know, or he wasn't saying, Martha, I just, I think what he was saying was, Martha, I just got here. Let the details wait for a few minutes. Worry about the meal in a little while. Worry about getting the sheets on the beds later. So come here. Sit down with us. Let's all just enjoy each other's company a little bit. That's a good lesson for any believer to learn. You need spiritual reset. If you launch into the new year and you think, I'm going to get in shape. I'm hitting my health button reset. You know, I'm going to get myself together in this way and that way, and financially we're going to do it all. And you, know, and, and you just skip this. You're going to miss out on what God has for you in 2015. Good lesson for every believer to learn. You need a spiritual reset. First things first. Before you do anything else, get alone with God. He wants your companionship before he wants your service. And I love that we've got so many volunteers here at Calvary. We were just adding up how many we've got right now working back in preschool and in kids stuff and with the worship team and the tech team. I mean, there's just, you think about how many people are involved in, in what we do. But for all of us, it's more important that we, we get along with him privately before we do all that publicly. So this principle of first things first, it works in your spiritual life just like it works in all the other areas of your life. It also works in your relationships. So I want to spend just a few minutes. That's always one of those things preachers say, and you go, liar, liar. But I promise, just a few minutes, talking about nailing down your priorities. And in order to do this, let me give you a couple of tests. 
okay? Take out a half sheet of paper. No, I'm just kidding. Um, there's a test. First of all, it's the stress test. Stress test. Stress is a good indicator sometimes that your priorities are getting out of balance. If you always feel overwhelmed, overloaded, it's a pretty good indication that you've gotten some things on your plate that aren't supposed to be there. They don't need to be there. You ever go to a wedding reception and they give you those ridiculously small plates? Kathy always leans over at a wedding reception. If it's around dinner or lunchtime, she always leans over and says, this is dinner. So I start looking, so how, how many meatballs is appropriate? You know, I mean, and you just, you think, so I get two, and then I say, oh, I'm taking this one to Kathy. You know, and I, and I sit down, they're both for me because this is my supper. <laughs> I think this is the way we do with things in our lives sometimes. We just keep loading our plate up, and it's a lot of stuff that just doesn't belong there. Jesus never said, I have come to give you turmoil. No, he said, in me, you can have peace. He never said, I have come to give you a life of endless frustration. He said, I've come to give you life to the fullest. He never said, I've come to give you more than you could ever possibly get done every day of your life. No, he said, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. In me, you'll find rest. When you're in Christ, the things you do are going to energize you. They're going to refresh you. And if you're at a place, particularly spiritually, in your religious life, I don't know how to say that, but we're just everything feels like a duty, and everything just feels like, well, I've got to get down to the church and do my... Then, you know, I say this, you're not in Christ. You're in your flesh. You're just doing that out of your good-heartedness, and, and I applaud you, but there's no glory in that. There's no refreshment. You're just going to be burnt out, and you're going to be worn out. We, we function from our, our place in Christ. If you're running full speed ahead every day, and you're constantly behind on everything you do, I should be getting amen. Well, I should be getting that right now. You've got some things on your schedule that just shouldn't be there. You're going to have to make some decisions. Now, I'll tell you, one of the things you can do is just take a legal pad or just get on your computer screen and just list everything. I mean, just list them and then think, okay, there's 25 things. I can only do 20. Make the hard decision what five things you're going to cross off. And here's what's going to happen. You're not going to feel, you may feel a twinge that's a false sense of guilt, but at the end of the day, you're going to go, ah. I mean, it's going to feel so good. It's going to feel so good. And I want you to know that I'm speaking from experience. I'm an expert at this. Many times in the course of my ministry, I found myself in, the, in this position, just completely overloaded, feeling like I'm the only one in the kitchen trying to get things done. The rest of the staff is out socializing in the courtyard. I'm just kidding. Uh, okay, Working with one deadline after the other, hanging over my head, and not nearly enough hours in the, the day to get everything done. And my typical response when I find myself in that situation has always just been, what, what do you do? You just put in more hours. You just keep cranking it out, right? And you just keep doing it. And I tell myself, these long days are temporary. Poor me. In just a week or two, and I'll get caught up, and everything's going to be okay. <laughs> Why can't everybody be like me? You know, I mean, you felt that way. The problem is, 
and you've got these things on your plate that shouldn't be there. And you're never going to get caught up. You're kidding yourself. You're never going to get caught up. Instead, when you do too much work for too much time, you know what's going to happen? Your efficiency bottoms out. And the quality of your work just suffers. And you're, and you're typically, you're too tired to even tell. You don't even know it. I, was, I, and I proved this myself this way because I'm writing something, you know, and I'm going to be speaking, and so I'm writing this. And I go away from it for a while, and I come back, and I look at what I've written, and I think, that's terrible. That's awful. And I think, I would just get up and say this, and you'd be sitting there going, this is terrible. This is awful. He must have written this like at 1 a.m. And you think, just delete. Just kind of move away from that. That's the stress test. Now, the second test, first, you just need to ask, what does Jesus have in mind for you to do? I mean, I don't want to spiritualize everything, but I think, I think it's, let this be a wake-up call. What needs to go? What needs to change? What needs to stop? I know it's going to be hard, but you're going to like it. You're going to like it. Secondly, the priority test. Jesus said to Martha, you're worried and upset about many things. Only one thing's needed. She had these random things. And I can imagine that she's in the kitchen and then she's making spaghetti or whatever she would imagine. And you're like, oh, I forgot the bread. And oh, I got to get this. And oh, I think the sheets are coming out of the dryer. This is all good. And oh, somebody, we've been there, right? She doesn't have, she doesn't have her priorities. Jesus was saying to Martha in a gentle way, Martha, it's time for a priority check. What matters most? Setting a perfect table or spending time with me? You've got to figure those things out. But they have, they have real-life consequences. And I know you've probably seen illustrations like this before, but this kind of just works for me. You know, there's a lot of times that I have spent uh, a, a, a lot of my time looking at these little things in my life, and I think, oh, I need to get, you know, get that done. And I know i got this big thing. And I, know, I know this is big. Like, you've got to write a paper. You know, and isn't it amazing? You can say, I've got to get this paper done. I'm facing the deadline. I've got to get this paper done. But I can't get it done because I feel tired. I'm going to go to Starbucks and get some coffee. <laughs> and this room is a mess. I cannot work in this kind of atmosphere, you know. And you, do the, and you do all these little things. And before you know it, it's too late now. I can't write the paper now. <laughs> Just, and we do that, right? When you live by priorities, you take the big things. You take the big this is really noisy. I shouldn't have used glass. But you, you see what I'm doing? You, I'm, I'm getting the big things in my life, the things that are really important, the things that matter, and I'm going to do the big stuff first. Because if I did the, just the little things, if I keep doing that with little things, you know what's going to happen, right? Then I'll eventually get to the place there's no room for the big stuff because I spent the whole day doing the little things. But if I work in balance, and if I move by priorities, I can get the big things done, the things that are really important, the things that matter in my life. I can get those things done. And then I'm going to have room and time for the little things. I'll have time for those. And it'll all happen. And not only that, but then there's those extra things that God calls you to spontaneously. And I don't know if you ever feel like, you know, there was one time I was driving home and I'm tired, and the Lord said, I want you to go by so-and-so's house and just visit them, give them a word of encouragement and a prayer. 
And you know, the first time you hear the Holy Spirit, and you think that was the Holy Spirit, and then the second, you know, and then you start thinking about it like, huh, just maybe he means one day or eventually or sometime or maybe I'll call him instead or I'll send him a, I'll send him a message. And, and, you know, that second voice is yours. The first one was the Holy Spirit's, okay? That's just an easy little test. First voice, Holy Spirit. Second voice, you. But if you lean into that, and now you've lived your life by, prior, by your priorities, you're going to find there's some uh, extra space in your life so that God can be spontaneous. And this is where the fun starts. This is where the adventures begin, where God says, can I, I've got room now to pour into your life. You thought your life was full. You thought there's nothing else that can fit. But because you live by priorities, look how much more I can get in your life. And the beautiful thing is, you're not stressed. You're not thinking, Lord, I can't. And, oh, you know, Joe called me, wants me to have, oh, Kevin called, he wants me to play this instrument. Oh, Nick, Nick needs me to, I can't, I'm just too, I'm just can't, I don't have time. Priorities, the priority test, that's how that works. I think what Jesus is saying to Martha and what he's saying to us is make sure you do the big stuff first. When I'm out of balance, my approach is just the opposite. I t my person, I'm serious. I tend to do all the nagging little things, and I get them off my mind, and I do stuff, and it's not important, but I feel like I'm doing something, and sometimes we're procrastinating, we're putting off something we don't want to do, but it's the big thing. And... Uh, the thing is, those nagging little details always take more time than you thought they would. And the truth is, most of them can wait anyway. Um, the things that are important in life can't wait. The things in life that are most important need to be done. Do those first. Do those first. That's why I encourage people to have their alone time with Jesus, your devotional, your quiet time, do that in the morning. Because for most of us, once we get in gear, right, and you get cranked up, I'll do it at lunch. I'll do it this evening when everything's quiet and what you're really going to do is watch television and, you know, uh, you're going to check your Facebook. And, and all of a sudden it's bedtime and you're like, oh, I'm so tired. And you're going to read about three sentences and fall. <laughs> Good night, Jesus. <laughs> and off you go. He goes, oh, thanks a lot for the leftovers of your day. Thanks for squeezing me in. I really, no, you know, I'm just suggesting. It's not a law. I'm not going to make this a legalistic thing. I'm just saying generally it's going to work better if you give him the quality part of your day. Give him the first part of your day. Get up 10, 15 minutes earlier. Make a cup of coffee. Spend some time with him. Watch what happens to the rest of your day. You're going to feel so sane. Your spirit is going to feel so quiet, purposeful. And you realize when he's in control, you're back in control. And you don't feel tossed around and jerked around all the time. So uh, just an idea. Um, but there's, you know, there will always be roadblocks, and there's always going to be little rocks and big rocks. But, you know, you can take care of those. Now, the third thing is the reward test. Jesus said in verse 42, Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. I think Jesus is, I think he's thinking, she's going to do this in heaven. She's going to do this forever. 
and I'm not going to stop her. You know what's going to determine your priorities your life, in your life? Uh, you, you base it on what's going to last the longest. What's going to give you the biggest payoff? Now, obviously, at some point, you need to do the dishes. You need to vacuum. You need to do the laundry. You've got to mow the yard. You've got to change the oil in the car. I, I know that. You've got to do all those things. It's got to be done sometime. But when do you do it? After you've done the things that really matter, the things that really last, that which pays off the biggest dividends. You've heard me say this before. I don't know where I got it just years and years ago. Someone said this, live for the people who will cry at your funeral. Live for the people who will cry at your funeral. And I don't want my kids, I don't want my grandkids to say, wow, his office was always so neat, you know, or he was... He was, we never saw him a lot, but his car just seemed to always have the oil fresh and changed. And, and, you know, and like I said, I know those are important, but live for the people who are going to cry at your funeral. Because our relationship with God and our relationship with others um, will all work with, by the same rule. Love first. Serve second. Love first first, serve second. You say that out loud with me. Love first, serve second. If you're overwhelmed to the point that you need to hit the reset button on your life, you can do that. You can do that. But you're just going to have to keep things in the right order. To keep your life moving in the right direction, you need to nail down this question of first things first. In your spiritual life, I think it's going to be easy to determine. Jesus wants you to serve him. I think everybody here should be, if you're a member, if you're a regular attender, you should be doing something. Everybody ought to be involved. We all ought to be serving in some way. I think you were created for that. I think there's something built into you that wants to do that at some level. So I'm not saying you shouldn't serve, but I'm saying that that service should, should flow out of your fellowship with him after you've spent time in his presence. I can't tell you how many times someone's come up to me and said, Pastor, you know, I, I was just alone with the Lord, and I was thinking and praying, and, and, and God gave me this idea, and I think God wants me to step up and help with this. It comes out of that. It's born there. The rule for living a life in God is now and always will be love first, serve second. And that same rule applies to your marriage, to your children, every relationship that matters. Love first, serve second. Make it a habit to sit down, get still in the presence of Jesus every day of your life. Spending time in prayer, reading the word, just connecting with him every day. And if you put this at the top of your list, you're going to find that the order of all those other things is just going to begin to fall into place. And some things you, you'll realize after a week or a month or two, oh, what happened to that? and you don't even miss it. 
husbands, wives, mothers, fathers, students. If you will do this with one another, with your kids, your grandkids, I knew I had to throw that in. Every chance you get, just sit, just enjoy each other's company for a few minutes. You're going to find that the payoff so worth the investment. So worth it. So worth it. Will you say this with me just one more time? Love first, serve second. Love first, serve second. Father, I thank you that you have created us and designed us in such a specific way um, that we can get incredible uh, amounts of good things done. And Father, sometimes we've moved that all in crazy ways and we get so busy and stressed and life just becomes an unpleasant burden, even for those who are Christian. We ask that today you'd move us into a new place where our life flows out of our fellowship with you. Our priorities are obvious and they match our lifestyle. And we live to serve others, but that service comes from being in your presence. And we love each other better in more significant ways because we're not in such a hurry to get all the little things done. Last week, we, we blew away the excuse. But first, I pray that whatever we've got that we would say, but, but first, we just set that over to the side and we just step into this with you. Change us now. Change us forever as we...